I can just squeeze in one more announcement uh, before the message time. Uh, there is uh, an engagement party next Saturday, uh, 10 a.m. for Johnny and Julianne. That's uh, Saturday, 10 o'clock. Please bring morning tea to share and your own tea, coffee, etc. And it's at the Mooney Beach Day Use Park at the end of Mooney Beach Road. Uh, and there's a notice about that on the back thing, or this is the notice about that for the back thing, which will shortly be back there. <laughs> okay. I'd like you to take your Bibles tonight and uh, I'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to pause our um, series in Ecclesiastes just so that we might focus on those Advent messages that I mentioned to you last week. Matthew chapter 2. And we're going to read a passage that you might read a few times at this time of year. Matthew chapter 2 and we'll read from verse 1. Matthew 2, 1. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. And when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. And then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come to your word. We thank you, Lord, that we can find in your word not just interesting stories, but we can find things that are meant for our learning, for our improvement. And we pray that tonight, Lord, the Spirit of God might be at work in our hearts. Lord, just show us where we stand before you, for that is really what church is about. It's about our relationship with you. It's about joining in together agreeing that the word of God is important and that we need to grow. And so tonight we ask that that would happen as we expose ourselves to your word and allow your spirit to have its way. We commit these things to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. So I mentioned to you last week, um, the period of Advent on many church calendars goes for the four Sundays that precede Christmas. Um, and this being the second of the Sundays that precede Christmas is still within that Advent portion. And we're going to take just that time uh, to meditate on some of the thoughts surrounding the incarnation, that is when the Son of God uh, put upon himself human flesh and came to the world in that time that we call Christmas. As I mentioned to you last time, we're going to do that by considering some different approaches that people took to the first advent of Christ. Uh, different people had different ideas about who Christ would be or who Christ was when he came. And that's instructive for each of us as we consider the coming of the Lord once again and the way that different people are anticipating that. Last time we considered the Pharisees and we saw that the Pharisees knew what to look for when they were thinking about the Christ. But although they knew what to look for, they didn't want to see what God had for them in Christ the Messiah. 
And some wait for the second coming the same way. Uh, They know what they're to look for. They've been warned about the second coming of Christ that is coming in judgment one day, but they don't want to see what God has revealed about that time. Tonight, I want to take a different character and uh, one from the portion there in Matthew chapter 2. I want you to think about in your own mind, uh, if you were uh, presented with the nativity scene and you thought about those three wise men that are often pictured in the nativity scenes, there may be more, there may be less, but if you consider the picture of those wise men that attended the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, what sort of emotions does that bring up in your mind? Uh, Does it bring thoughts of comfort? Because when we think of the wise men, we think about Christmas, maybe we think about holidays, maybe we think about family or food or the idea of Christ's coming. Uh, Maybe we think about uh, hope because people were looking forward to the hope that this child's birth might bring. What sort of feelings do the thoughts about those wise men bring up to your mind? Well, I would suggest to you that the feeling that is not brought up to your mind is a troubling thought. When you think about the wise man, does it trouble you? Does it cause you to fear? Does it make you uncomfortable? I would suggest probably not, because they're generally associated with something pleasant. King Herod didn't share our feelings about the arrival of the wise men. King Herod had quite a different response, and it was just that. He was troubled at their arrival. He was even fearful He had negative feelings towards the arrival of these wise men. And tonight I want to have a look at why and just what it meant for Herod to have the response that he did, because I think it's quite meaningful. Herod, we read in verse 3, was troubled at the arrival of these men seeking for the king of Israel. That brings us to our first point, which really answers why he was troubled at this seemingly harmless occurrence. Our first point is Herod the Great. Herod the Great, verses 1 and 2. Let's just reread those two verses. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. You might think, why did it trouble Herod the king? To hear these wise men come. Well, these wise men came saying this. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? Let me ask you, what was Herod's current job description? King of the Jews. Okay, so these wise men have just come and said, where is he that is born king of the Jews? Immediately, Herod's, in Herod's mind, here is a future challenger to my position. But I think there's more than that to this story. I think there is something more because of what the wise men said or how the wise men framed it. Notice their exact words. It says in verse 2, where is he that is born king of the Jews? Herod the Great, the one who now occupied the throne of Judea, was not born the king of the Jews. He wasn't given this position because of his birth. In fact, Herod was an Idumean or an Edomite. He was born, or he was the child of a mixed marriage from a parent, one parent outside of Israel. 
And this was something that the Jews of his day, the Jewish leaders of his day, were constantly reminding him of. Constantly. Or oh, you're not really an Israelite anyway. You're not really a Jew anyway. You don't really have the lineage that we're really looking for. So whenever Herod would upset the Jews, they would always retort with Herod's so-called illegitimate birth or illegitimate claim to the throne. The way that Herod had become the king of Israel or the king of Judea was that he basically negotiated and groveled his way all the way to the throne of Israel through Rome, through the Roman Empire at that time. You would be familiar with such names as Julius Caesar, Mark Antony, Octavius, who would later be Caesar Augustus, and perhaps even with Cleopatra of Egypt. Now, those are some very, very famous names from ancient history. And if you start to look at the relationships between even those, uh, they sometimes fought together in wars against others. Sometimes they fought against each other after they'd fought together. But that is not a harmonious group. Caesar, Antony, Augustus, Cleopatra. And yet, Herod the Great was an ally of all of them. That's pretty remarkable, isn't it? They didn't get along, but Herod the Great was an ally of all of them. In fact, he took the opposite side to some of those people in the wars as they raged in Rome. And yet when they came to the throne, somehow Herod weaseled himself into favor with the one who was ruling in Rome. And so despite the Jews' problems with Herod, Roman authority helped to install Herod's power in Jerusalem. And so he was a king forced upon the nation of Israel. Now, it's not that there was constant rioting in the streets and constant fighting against Herod's authority. That wasn't the case. But there was a constant complaining against Herod, constant questioning of his place as the king. Herod was a conniving politician. He was ruthless in his power. He was a murderer. And I don't say that um, just to describe what sort of ruler he was. He was literally a murderer. He killed political opponents. He killed Jews to show his power. He killed Pharisees, the leaders of the Jews. He murdered his own family to show who was in control. And he murdered his own children to prevent them from rising up and causing problems, even if he thought that they were looking at him the wrong way. He was a murderer. A horrible, horrible person. And perhaps this is why the people were troubled when Herod was troubled with the arrival of the wise men. Do you notice there in verse 3, when Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. You see, if Herod was troubled, all Jerusalem was troubled. Because when Herod lost his temper, everyone suffered. And there was a great deal of political instability around the rule of Herod. He was paranoid. He was ruthless. He was spineless. And we could call him an illegitimate king of Judea. And so when the wise men come and say, where is he that is born king of the Jews? Naturally, a king like that is going to be troubled. But I think... The more interesting question is to ask this, why did Herod take this, in, this inquiry seriously? Why did Herod act upon the, what the wise men said? I mean, 
three people travel following a star and say, hey, we've heard that a king's born here because we've been following a star. It's, it's hardly clear and present danger for a king to act upon, is it? Why did he take their words seriously? Well, that brings us to our second point, and that is not Herod the Great, but Herod the Jew. Herod the Jew, not by lineage, but by practice. Matthew chapter 2, verses 4 to 6. This is where I think we see a little bit more of what King Herod was thinking. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, art not, thou the, sorry, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. I always find it tricky when there's a New Testament quotation of an Old Testament prophecy. Sometimes you start to say the words of the Old Testament prophecy, but you've got to read what's before you. <laughs> Herod was Jewish enough to know what the wise men were talking about. And I want you to think about that for a moment. Notice in verse 4, it says, When he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. You notice that's the first time that title Christ is used in this chapter. The wise men arrived and said, Where is he that is born King of the Jews? It was Herod who, made, who in his mind made the connection and thought, They're speaking about the Messiah. They're speaking about the Christ. And we know that that's what he was thinking because who did he call? Not the geographers of the land, not those who had the health records of the land and the birth of where all the children were, but he called the religious teachers of Israel. He called the chief priests and the scribes because he knew that this inquiry was a question that surrounded the Hebrew scriptures. This was something to do with the Old Testament. And further to that, he knew that in the Hebrew Old Testament, there was a prophecy about where the king would be born. Herod knew that there was an Old Testament prophecy that one day there would be a king born in Israel and he would be born in a certain place. So he asked those who were in the know where this place was. Now it's interesting, isn't it? In verse 4 it says, When he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. I think that word demanded gives us something of the feeling between the chief priests and Herod. He demanded of them. He didn't just talk to friends who he was getting along with, but he demanded, hey, you're not getting away with this. Tell me. Shows that there's a strained relationship there. And they quote to him the prophecy of Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, which tells us that Christ will be born in Bethlehem in Judah or Judea. Now, I think it's interesting that Herod knew more probably of this Messiah than the wise men did. The wise men came inquiring about who this Messiah was. They followed a star all the way to Israel in order to figure out where to go. And when they got there, they asked the question of Herod, where is he that is born king of the Jews? And Herod immediately thought, this has got to do with Christ. And he immediately thought, the chief priests know where in the Old Testament that prophecy is about where the Christ would be born. Herod knew something about the promised Messiah. And I think that Herod believed that it was likely 
that the Messiah had come. I think it's likely that in Herod's mind, he's thinking, this is happening now. It, it explains why he acted in the way that he did. And we'll have a look at that as the story progresses. But you know, Herod's situation reminds me a little bit about people in the lead up to Christmas. Certain people in the lead up to Christmas. Now, they don't know much about Jesus. Uh, they might not know all the details about who he was and what he did and where to find certain things in the scriptures, but they know enough to understand what the nativity scene is. It's about the birth of Jesus. It's about the time when God sent someone to earth to do something special, although I can't tell you all about what that is. Uh, they might have to ask some clarifying questions, but they know that if we have to ask some questions about Jesus and the Bible and so forth, we know at least that we have to go to the Bible to ask them. And we know that if we want to find out about Jesus, then we should go to a church or at least ask Christians. And so people know that this time of year, at least the nativity scene, is about Jesus Christ. And that the Jesus Christ is at least about something to do with salvation or, or dying for people's sins. They have a rough idea of what's going on when it comes to Jesus. But then over the Christmas period, sometimes uh, these things come to the surface in those people's minds. They have a vague idea about religion, especially about the religion of Christianity. And over Christmas time, perhaps they see a nativity scene. Perhaps they come to a church service that they wouldn't often come to or talk to somebody about the Lord and they wouldn't often talk to them about the things of the Lord. They're confronted with the message of Christmas, the message of the Bible about God sending his son. And they see again the full story, not just the vague picture that they have in their mind, but they see again the full story of what God is doing through Christ. Christ came to bring salvation by dying for their sins. And they understand the full story. Now, with that picture and that parallel in mind, I want to move on to our next point, which shows us a little more about Herod. What did Herod do with this knowledge, vague though it was? What did Herod do with it? Well, let's have a look thirdly at Herod the miserable. Verses 7 and 8. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When we read in verse 7, Herod called when he had privily called the wise men. That word privily means privately secretly it wasn't something that he was doing in front of other people but he was privately calling them there and he asked further questions he privily called the wise men and he inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared he secretly wanted to know what time they began seeing this star for some secret reason he wanted to know more about the timing of the appearance of this star interesting and then he sent them, and we would assume that this is also privily or without everybody around, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search diligently for the young child. And then it says, this is a quotation of what Herod said, and when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. Now we know that Herod did this not in order to worship this apparent birth of the Christ, 
come and worship the Christ, but because he was a murderer. And this was not just a potential murderer because of what he would do in the future, but he was already a murderer. He'd already murdered many, many people by this stage. In fact, this is almost the end of Herod's life. He's dying in a putrefying state because the palace is stinking with the stench of his body dying. He's at the end of his life. He's murdered many, many people. And now he says, when you have found him, bring me word again that I may worship him also. He's planning on killing this child. And we know that because of what we read later in the story. When he saw a Bible prophecy that was probably coming true at the time, and his actions show to us that he was threatened because he thought they were coming true, he used that prophecy to find out where that child would be in order to have that child killed. You think about that for a moment. Herod used the Old Testament to try and murder the Messiah. (laughs) It's a piece of work. He used God's revelation to try and oppose the plan of God. Now, I'm not saying that Herod understood totally and was a total believer in the coming of the Christ. But if he didn't believe what the wise men were saying, and if he thought it was just all a made-up story, then he would have done nothing about it. He wouldn't have acted on this information, but he does. And it made me wonder, I wonder if there was ever just the simple thought in Herod's mind, if this is the Christ, maybe I should just worship him. This is the time when God is sending the Christ, and I don't know much about him, but maybe I should just worship him instead of trying to thwart the plan that was foretold by God. I wonder if he ever thought that, or was he so hard from all his years of treachery that immediately he turned to the idea of scheming his way around it. And so Herod was aware of the arrival of the Messiah, And the news came all the way to the palace. But the question is, how did he respond to it? Well, he responded by not receiving that king. He rejected that king. He chose to, in fact, oppose the message. You know, this time of year, despite the fact that many, many people are going to be hearing about the story of Christmas, the Christian story of Christmas, many people, most people will reject that message. They'll hear it. And they'll say, no, I don't believe that. Or for most of them, they'll try and distract themselves until the conviction goes away. But you know, some people, and it's probably less than the majority, some people will actively oppose the message. Some people will hear the story about Jesus coming from heaven and taking on human form and being born, and they will actively try and defame that story. They'll speak about the Christian message in a derogatory way to try and make it look stupid. Or they'll speak about the idea of Christ coming to earth as being unhistorical and they'll try and disprove it so that other people might be turned away from believing that story as well. Some deface the story of Christmas. And this is like Herod. Herod was a fool. He saw the message... He even likely believed that the message was coming true. And then he tried to fight against God's plan. He tried to do everything he could to put it away, to stop it from happening. Now, it doesn't take much to figure out that that plan wasn't going to work. (laughs) Of course it didn't work. Let's read in verses 12 about the way that God thwarted it. 
Matthew chapter 2 and verse 12, And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, this is the wise men, they departed into their own country another way. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night, and departed into Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and in all the coasts thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Why did he ask them diligently about the time when they saw the star? Because he wanted to know about how old this child was. You see, he believed there was a child. He acted on that information. And because he believed the child was around about that age, he killed all of the children in Bethlehem up to about the time when the wise men said that star had appeared. Verse 17, then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, that's Jeremiah the prophet, saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted because they are not. That's a horrible story. And uh, this slaughter of the innocents is a terrible thing that happened in history. But in the life of Herod, doesn't stand out much. He did many, many terrible things. What I want to do is just focus on Herod's actions. Just note with me a few low lights, if we can call them that. <laughs> Matthew chapter 2 and verse 3. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled. Herod was a man of fear. Verse 7. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, his men of secrecy, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. He was an anxious man. He diligently wanted to find out this information. I would even say he was malicious. Verse 8, And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go search diligently for the young child, and when you have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. He was deceptive. Verse 16, then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise man, was exceeding wroth. He was an angry man and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem. He was a murderer of children. Terrible person. And you know, that is the life that Herod chose over submitting to God. That's the road that he chose in comparison to accepting that this child was the Christ of God. There was every chance that Herod could have been saved, but he chose to follow after this kind of life. And here's the question I want to ask all of us tonight. What life are we choosing over submitting to God? What does it look like? How good is it? What sort of things does it make us do? Is it an empty life? 
Is it a life in which satisfaction and joy are somewhat elusive? Is it an anxious life, a deceptive life, an angry life? Is it a life where we commit regrettable actions that we never thought we could get to, and yet we've been there? Is it worth living that sort of life just so that we can remain king and not allow Christ to be the king of our life? Is that sort of life worth it? You know, Christ had saved people like Herod before. He saw the truth and then he chose to fight against the truth. Herod just wasn't too wicked to be saved by Christ. No, he chose not to be saved. He chose not to give up that sort of life and to bow the knee to God, bend the knee to God. You know, each of us have that decision to make. When we hear about Jesus Christ, when we hear that he did in fact come to earth, that he lived a perfect life, that he died upon the cross and rose again, we have a choice. We're confronted with a choice and we can't walk away from it. That choice is, am I going to accept that Christ is my saviour? And am I going to accept that salvation for me, forsaking my sin? Am I willing to walk away from that? It's a choice that we all have. And if not, what am I holding on to instead of that? Is it worth it? We have that choice when we're confronted with that message of salvation. What am I saying no to Christ in order to keep hold of? But you know, Christians, Christians, those who are already saved, we can return to that kind of bondage too, can't we? Christ has a claim upon all of our lives. I mean, Christ is king, isn't he? Whether we accept it or not, Christ is king. But he has a claim upon each of our lives in that he wants to be the king of our life. He wants to be the one who navigates the way, who helps us to make the choices to be the deciding vote in each of our hearts. You know, sometimes we see what God wants, but we won't let go of the crown. <laughs> we want to remain king, not Christ. And where does it lead us? <laughs> Well, it leads us to become Herod the miserable. Leads us to become secretive, to become deceptive, to do things that we never thought we would do. And it all starts with choosing ourselves over Christ. So what was the end of this sort of road? It brings us to our fourth and last point. He was Herod the miserable, but worse than that, he was Herod the doomed. Verses 12 through 15 we read these verses just before and being warned of god in a dream that they should not return to herod they departed into their own country another way and when they were departed behold the angel of the lord appeareth to joseph in a dream saying arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into egypt and be thou there until i bring thee word for herod will seek the young child to destroy him when he arose he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Now, is it any wonder that Herod's plans all came to naught when God was so involved in this? It's no wonder, is it? And it must have been so frustrating 
to someone like Herod. Someone who wanted so much power, who showed ruthlessness to do anything that he needed to do to remain in power, to be powerless to stop this. To not be able to do anything about it. You know, I think it's quite interesting. We, we didn't read this little portion, but just after the wise men leave Herod's presence and start going towards Bethlehem, as soon as they leave the palace and are leaving Jerusalem, the star appears again. And so the star leads them all the way down to where Herod is and then disappears for some time so that they have to go and speak to Herod and talk to the scribes and uh, the chief priests. And then as soon as they walk out from Herod's presence, the star appears again. So did the wise men really need Herod's directions? Not really, because the star showed up again and showed them where to go to Bethlehem. I think it's interesting that just after they left Herod, it came back. Perhaps the Lord just hid the star a while so that he could trouble Herod and show him what was coming and bring out of this wicked man what was inside him. And then all God did was he took Jesus and his family, kept them over the border for a while, where they waited and waited as they watched Herod die. Isn't that a wonderful plan, that wonderful power of God? Herod is fighting with everything he's got. He's calculating. He knows just how long this baby has been alive for. And he sends to Bethlehem and wipes out all of the children to make sure he's in control. And Jesus and Joseph and Mary are just standing at the border waiting for Herod to die. <laughs> God is in control. <laughs> Verses 19 and 20 just say simply, But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeareth in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and go into the land of Egypt, for they are dead which sought the young child's life. All that Herod tried, all his frustration, all his anger, and God just waited it out, knowing that he too would just die. And then what happened? The plan just ticked on as God planned for it to. Herod was just out of the way and had nothing to do with the plan of God. He didn't disrupt it at all. It's a good reminder to each of us that the best we can do in disrupting the plan of God is to starve ourselves of joy and hurt other people around us. But you know, if God has a plan that he wants to bring to pass, there is nothing we can do in our own place to stop God's great plan. When God has set something in motion, he can bring it to pass. We don't have to fight against God, though. We don't have to say, no, I don't want God to have his way. We can humble ourselves. We can listen to him. We can let the Lord have his way. And you know what? If we don't, our doom is frustratingly inevitable. We can rebel against God for our whole life and God can just wait, calling us back often to try and repent and come back towards him, but he can just wait. And when the vehemence of our rebellion, the malice of our words and the anger, the spite that people spit out towards him and towards those who love him is over, they'll just die and stand before God in judgment. Hey, no one can fight against God. 
And then God's plan will go on. Message that we learn from Herod and the way that he waited for the coming of the Christ is don't spend your life living in opposition to an unconquerable plan. It's not worth it. You'll ruin your joy. You'll ruin your peace with yourselves, with God and with others. It's just not worth it. God wants to be your king. And you know what? He will be your king. But we can either do it the easy way or the hard way. Choice is up to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come and that we can be confronted by a character so foolish as this. And it reminds ourselves, it reminds us, Lord, that sometimes we can wrestle for the crown of our own heart foolishly. We can think that we know better. We can think that we can put off your will and that we'll still be okay. But Lord, we need to bow and we need to humbly accept, Lord, that your way is the best. We ask that you would help each of us, Lord, to be willing to do that. And I pray especially, Lord, if there is someone here tonight and uh, Lord, they have heard about you, but they have not yet received you as their own personal Lord and Savior. Then I pray that they will stop fighting against you, Lord. Pray that they'll stop ignoring you. And I pray that they'll receive the wonderful gift that you sent, the gift of salvation. Help us to each find peace in coming humbly before you and acknowledging our place tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.